0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve
1: I know that uh, it, and it's kind of bothered me that uh, we're up here kind of in the broadcast mode to more of a participatory environment but given the task that you were to uh, you know, cover all the steps and the amount of time available uh, and then your level of interest uh, according to that survey we just have kind of blasted through the first five and uh, but now we're into the steps and we've allocated a lot more time to these other steps um, And we'll hopefully have more time for question and answer uh, toward the the end uh, of each of these steps. We're going to take 6 and 7 and break for lunch. And then uh, no, 6 and 7 and then 8 and 9 and then we're going to break for lunch. And we'll do uh, 10 and 11 tonight. No, I think. Is that right?
2: I think we're doing eight and
1: nine tonight. Eight and nine tonight. So Maybe we got six yeah, this afternoon, two hours, an hour and uh, 45 minutes for six and seven. So the, the uh, uh, little slower pace and a little bit uh, more time for interaction. Uh, and with that, uh, Adam, big book.
2: Step 6 and 7. Uh, 6, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So we, after the directions after the 5th step, um, on page 76, we got one paragraph for step 6. If we can answer to our satisfaction after these questions that we just sat with for about an hour after doing the 5th step then we're ready to look at step six. Um, We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. We are now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable. Can He now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us to be willing. That's all the big book has to say about it. Um, This step, um, and then we're going to spend, obviously, all the time we're going to spend on this is going to be out of... uh, the twelve and twelve, um, and Robert's going to read and share, and then I'll share after he shares. And um, um, one of the one of the biggest things here is at the beginning. I think it's the beginning of the yes, the step that separates the men from the boys, and this is the step for me that um, that's been definitely a piece of truth, and uh, it's also been the step that's begin to. Separate me from my defects and give me freedom from defects. That's what it's all about. And um, and as we go along here, I'll share little practices um, that I've done and learned along the way from sponsors, um, how to implement these steps in a real practical, hands-on way, you know, every day. Um, and I'll look forward to sharing that as we go along here. Um, take it away. Thanks, well,
1: Anna. Well, yeah. You know, it's interesting to me that when I worked through the these steps initially, you know, in the uh, the big book, he gave us a paragraph of six, and uh, and later it seemed to be. I mean, steps six and seven are where I spend the vast majority of my time in recovery today. I mean, this is where I really get to roll up my sleeves and and do the work. Uh, We're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. You know, this step eluded me for so long because I didn't understand. And one of the things that I didn't understand is... uh, remove the word remove and for some reason a little slow i thought remove meant you know that god would take that character defect make it disappear and it would never rear its ugly head again and eh. remove is one of those re words re you know to do again remember reconnect reunion and what it means is to move again so if I take that cuff and I move it from point A to point B, it's been moved from A to B, but it's been removed from point A. And now it's been removed and removed and removed again, right? It's been moved around. It's been removed from here, but it ended up over here. Has it been obliterated, destroyed, vanquished? never to be seen again? Absolutely not. And my character defects are the same. way. You know, the alcoholic says that the alcohol comes in bottles and the ism comes in people. (laughs) I got every ism I ever had and they ain't never going to get to be wasms. God has taken these defects of character that used to be glaring in my personality and move them to a position more in keeping with his way of doing business. Now, i still got every defect of character, and all I need to do is add a little self-will, and it's right back up there. A little self-will to lust, bam! A little self-will to gluttony, Bam! Was it? They say that uh, world-class musician. When a world-class musician doesn't practice for a single day, he knows it. And if he doesn't practice for two days in a row, the critics know it. And if he doesn't practice for three days in a row, everybody knows it. My program's like that too. My my wife will let me know. Shouldn't you go to a meeting? Um, anyway uh, remove oh okay so we're entirely ready to have God remove move all these defects of character well okay how does he do that work the rest of the steps Uh, and this is one of those willingness steps right I mean Three, 6 and 8 have to do with willingness and willingness is real simple I will or I won't I will do it his way or I won't so let us read here in step 6 there's about 6 pages that we're going to go through and this is the step that separates the men from the boys. So declares a well-loved clergyman who happens to be one of Essay's greatest friends. He goes on to explain that any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults. There's that honesty, pesky honesty. You know, having the the desire to deceive or the lack of it, the intent to deceive. Just don't bullshit yourself. You know honesty to repeatedly to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without any reservations whatever has indeed come a long way spiritual and therefore and is therefore entitled to be called a man who is sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of his own creator. Of course this often, The often disputed question of whether God can and will, under certain conditions, remove defects of character will be answered with a prompt affirmative by almost any essay member. To him, this proposition will be no theory at all. It will be just about the largest fact in his life. He will usually offer his proof in a statement like this. Sure, I was beaten, absolutely licked. My own willpower just wouldn't work on lust change of scene, the best efforts of family, friends, doctors, and clergymen got no place with my sexaholism. I simply couldn't stop lusting, and no human being could seem to do the job for me. But when I became willing to clean house and then asked a higher power, God, as I understood him, to give me release, my obsession to lust vanished. It was lifted right out of me. Mm. I'm not sure that translates completely but you know, it, it does at times. In essay meetings all over the world statements like this are heard daily. It is plain for everyone to see that each sober essay member has been granted a release from that very obstinate and potentially fatal obsession. So in a very complete and literal mm-hmm. way All essays have become entirely ready to have God remove the mania for lust from their lives, and God has proceeded to do exactly that. Having been granted a perfect release from sexaholism, why then shouldn't we be able to achieve by the same means a perfect release from every other difficulty or defect? This is the riddle of our existence. The full answer to which may be only in the mind of God. Nevertheless, at least a part of the answer to it is apparent to us. When men and women pour so much lust into themselves that they destroy their lives, they commit a most unnatural act. Defying their instinctive desire for self-preservation, they seem bent upon self-destruction. They work against their own deepest instinct. As they are humbled by the terrific beating administered by lust, the grace of God can enter them and expel their obsession. Here their powerful instinct to live can cooperate fully with their creator's desire to give them a new life. For nature and God alike abhor suicide. But most of our difficulties don't fall under such a category at all. Every normal person wants, for example, to eat, to reproduce, to be somebody in the society of his fellows. And he wishes to be reasonably safe and secure as he tries to attain these things. Indeed, God made him that way. He did not design man to destroy himself by lust, but he did give man instincts to help him stay alive. It is nowhere evident, at least in this life, that our Creator expects us fully to eliminate our instinctual drives. So far as we know, it is nowhere on the record that God is completely removed from any human being all his natural drives. Since most of us are born with an abundance of natural desires, it isn't strange that we often let these far exceed their intended purpose. Since most of us are born with an abundance of natural desires, it isn't strange that we often let these far exceed their intended purpose. When they drive us blindly or we willfully demand that they supply us with more satisfactions or pleasures than are possible or do us, that is the point at which we depart from the degree of perfection that God wishes for us here on earth. That is the measure of our character defects or, if you wish, of our sins. I think that is an absolute wonderful definition of character defects that when we willfully demand that they supply us with more satisfactions or pleasures than are possible, in other words, you know, than they were meant to, to uh, be used as... It's kind of like, you know, uh, when the only tool you have is a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail. And lust works for me in every situation i'm feeling good let's act out i feel like shit let's act out i'm stressed let's act out there's eye candy let's act out you know and we talked about satisfaction last night and satisfaction is fleeting you know it it's not sustainable so you know that we willfully demand that they supply us with more satisfactions or pleasures than are possible or that we deserve. You know, in me, I want it all whether I earned it or not. Give it to me. Why? I want it. But you haven't earned it. I don't care. That's crazy. If we ask, God will certainly forgive our derelictions. But no case Does he render us white as snow and keep us that way without our cooperation? That is something we're supposed to be willing to work toward ourselves. He asked only that we try as best we know how to make progress in the building of character. The building of character. Character is not what we do when people are around. Character is what we do when no one's around. So step six we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character is essay 's way of stating the best possible attitude. Oh step six is an attitude we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character and the operative where they're being God. because if I could have removed them i'd already done it i wouldn't be here today i 'd be well and wonderful. Uh-huh. So, God needs to do it. And how does God do it? Work the rest of the steps. And step six is attitude. We're entirely ready to have God. And if God does it, it will not be painful. I might not like it, but liking it is optional. Essay's way of stating the best possible attitude one can take in order to make a beginning on this lifetime job. This doesn't mean that we expect all our character defects to be lifted out of us as the drive to lust was. Few of them may be, but with most of them, we shall have to be content with patient improvement. The key words, entirely ready, underline the fact that we want to aim at the very best we know or can learn. How many of us have this degree of readiness? In an absolute sense, practically nobody has it. The best we can do, with all the honesty we can summon is to try to have it. Even then, the best of us will discover to our dismay that there is always a sticking point at which we say, No, I can't give this up yet. And we shall often tread on even more dangerous ground when we cry, This I will never give up. Such is the power of our instincts to overreach themselves. No matter how far we have progressed, desires will will always be found which oppose the grace of God. I hear a song for you. Desire. The word desire it comes from the French, desiré. And, you know, like an animal sires, another animal, an animal instead is the sire. Desire comes from the Father. Our desires come from the Father. And if we look to the true nature of our desire, we will find that there's good in there. It's the misuse of that desire, that hammer, (laughs) nail, 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 that that is the problem, I believe. No matter how far we have progressed, desires will always be found which oppose the grace of God. So some who feel they have done well may dispute this. So let's try to think it through a little further. Practically, everybody wishes to be rid of his most glaring and destructive handcrafts. No one wants to be so proud that he is scorned as a braggart, nor so greedy that he is labeled a thief. No one wants to be angry enough to murder, lustful enough to rape, gluttonous enough to ruin his health. No one wants to be agonized by the chronic pain of envy or to be paralyzed by sloth. Of course, most human beings don't suffer these defects at these rock bottom levels. We who have escaped these extremes are apt to congratulate ourselves. Yet, can we? After all, hasn't it been self-interest, pure and simple, that has enabled most of us to escape? Not much spiritual effort is involved in avoiding excesses, which will bring us punishment anyway. But when we face out to the less violent aspects of these very same defects, then where do we stand? We must recognize now,
0: we must recognize now What we must recognize now is that we exalt in some of our defects.
1: We really love them. Who, for example, doesn't like to feel just a little superior to the next fellow, or even quite a lot superior? (laughs) Isn't it true that we like to let greed masquerade as ambition, and to think of liking less seems impossible? You know, that sentence baffled me for years. To think of liking less seems impossible. I love lust. I mean, I I love lust. And then it clicked. It was like, liking lust? Who likes lust? Normal people like lust. To us, it's like, yeah. But how many men and women speak love with their lips and believe what they say so that they can hide lust in the dark corner of their minds? and even while staying within conventional bounds, many people have to admit that their fantasy, imaginary sex excursions, are apt to be all dressed up as dreams of romance. Self-righteous anger also can be very enjoyable. In a perverse way, we can actually take satisfaction from the fact that many people annoy us, for it brings a comfortable feeling of superiority. Gossip... Or with our anger is a polite form of murder by character assassination has its satisfactions for us too here we are not trying to help those we criticize we are trying to proclaim our own righteousness when gluttony is less than ruinous we have a milder word word for to that too we call it taking our comfort we live in a world riddled with envy to a greater or lesser degree everybody is infected with it From this defect, we must surely get a warped yet definite satisfaction. Else, why would we consume such great amounts of time wishing for what we have not, rather than working for it, or angrily looking for attributes we shall never have instead of adjusting to the fact and accepting it? And how often we work hard with no better motive than to be secure and slothful later on, only we call that retiring. Consider too our talents for procrastination, which is really slow than five syllables. Nearly anyone could submit a list of such defects as these, and few of us would seriously think of giving them up, at least until they cause us excessive misery. Some people of course may conclude that they are indeed ready to have all such defects taken from them but even these people if they construct a list of still milder defects will be obliged to admit that they prefer to hang on to some of them. Therefore, it seems plain that few of us can quickly or easily become ready to aim at spiritual and moral perfection. We want to settle for only as much perfection as will get us by in life, accordingly, of course, to the various and sundry ideas of what will get us by. So the difference between the boys and the men is the difference between striving from a self-determined objective and for the perfect objective, which is of God. I hate that sentence. So the difference between the boys and the men is the difference between striving for a self-determined objective and for the perfect objective, which is of God. And that one stuck me for a long time. And today, I think that, you know, the, for me, it's, well, I don't really want to get that good, uh, because if I do, I'll lose something. You know, some, something will be taken from me, which I value. And so, you know, if I really wanted to ratchet up my food life, you know, I'd be this way, but... I like donuts. <laughs> uh, or plug it in for yourself. You know, uh, I really want to uh, exercise well. I want to take care of this temple that God has given me in this life. But I don't want to exercise that much. I want to uh, do it every day. I want to be slow on my prayer life. You know, I want to spend this much time. I want to have this much feeling. But for so many years, you know, as soon as the day got busy uh, or complicated uh, or I got tired, you know, God was the first thing I should can. I mean, you know, so much for prayer and meditation. I think I'll just go to bed, you know. And eh, what's wrong with this picture? You want to say anything about that, Adam? Um.
2: Why don't you finish, finish okay. reading? I have I have plenty I could say about right when we're done, yeah. Because you only got two. Right?
1: Many of us will at once ask, how can we accept the entire implication of step, step six? Why? That is perfection. This sounds like a hard question, but practically speaking it isn't. Only step one, where we made the one hundred percent admission we're powerless over less, can be practiced with absolute perfection. The remaining 11 steps state perfect ideals, and these goals toward which we look are the measuring sticks by which we estimate our progress. Seen in this light, step six is still difficult, but not at all impossible. The only urgent thing is that we make a beginning and keep trying. If we would gain any real advantage in the use of this step on problems other than lust, we shall need to make a brand new venture into open-mindedness. We shall need to raise our eyes toward perfection and be ready to walk in that direction. It will seldom matter how haltingly we walk. The only question will be, are we ready? Looking again at those defects we are still unwilling to give up, we ought to erase the hard and fast lines that we have drawn. Perhaps we shall be obliged in some cases still to say, this I cannot give up yet, but we should not say to ourselves, this I will never give up. Let's dispose of what appears to be a hazardous open end we have left. It is suggested that we ought to become entirely willing to aim toward perfection. We note that some delay, however, might be pardoned. That word, in the mind of a rationalizing sexaholic, could certainly be given a long-term meaning. He could say, how very easy. Sure, I'll head toward perfection. I'm certainly not going to hurry any. Maybe I can postpone dealing with some of my problems indefinitely. Of course, this won't do. Such a bluffing of oneself will have to go the way of many another pleasant rationalization. At the very least, we shall have to come to grips with some of our worst character defects and take action toward their removal as quickly as we can. The moment we say, no, never, our minds close against the grace of God. Delay is dangerous, and rebellion may be fatal. There's a group in uh, Orangeville, California, men's group, a step study. And they call themselves the Rebellion Dogs. Rebellion Dogs are steps at every point. This is the exact point at which we abandon limited objectives and move towards God's will for us. And, you know, for me, one of the epiphanies that I had in this step is the realization that if I, if I can still get what I think I need, I can give this up. See, whatever it is that my character defects are doing for me, they're getting me something. And it's like, if I can think, if I believe that I can still get that need met, I, I, I can get, get rid of it. So you know, if I get it from over here, I'll, I'm willing to let go of it here and my problem is that anything that I ever let go of had claw marks all over it. Yeah,
2: um, yeah I think that uh, I'm sitting here thinking as you were reading um, in, in AA meetings that I attend um, especially back in East Tennessee I was there for about four years I, I think it just dawned on me that um, Some of the the watered-down message that I heard in AA meetings, cafeteria-style approach to the program, I think think it's very strongly related to Step 6. And um, I had the privilege of um, getting sober in New York with a sponsor whose uh, father-in-law worked with... Bill and helped. Um, he's a no-name guy in early AA. We don't know him. We know Bill, Bob, and Eddie Thatcher and Doctor Silkworth, and and some other name. You know, Roland Hazard. We know some other names, right? And um, but Matt's father-in-law was working with Bill, and um, he he had the most interesting stories, pictures of, of Tom, his father-in-law, with Bill, and just and, and I would really it was a blessing to to work with matt because i would get all these little anecdotes and i talked to him about maybe if i was reading dr bob and the good old timers and he was like yeah well blah 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 blah," and you add on these little additives and so forth and um so the sponsorship that i got was uh you could say it was very it was very hard-nosed and that type of sponsorship saved my life and um the attitude of not pulling any punches and, and telling me exactly what I need to hear, and um, it made me uncomfortable, and it really went against my nature of, of craziness when I was first coming into the program. And see, this this step right here calls for. Um, you know, a working of the program, you know, working the program as it is laid out, as it should be laid out, to, you know, in it, the full sense of the word. And there's conflict here because it says uh, all of these last pages or so, he's saying, um, where does he say? Uh, the difference between the boys and the men is the difference between striving for a self determined objective and for the perfect objective which is of God. It is suggested that we ought to become entirely willing to aim toward perfection. But the big book, after how it works, or in how it works, and and when we read in meetings, uh, we are not saints. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. What's up with that? Conflict there. And I remember talking to Matthew about it, and he said they added this little section in there after they originally had this this part written up. And it was kind of same same thing as opposed to saying a clear set of direct, clear set of directions for the steps. They kind of lightened it up and said suggestions. Um, this same type of idea, and it kind of seems to me maybe they really realized, you know, that that they kept their guns here and saying. Uh, what we need to strive for is is really this ideal every day because a drunk like me, a sex hog like me, if I'm if I'm not shooting for A's in the program, uh, I'll be screwed. You know, if, if I'm shooting for B's, you know what I mean, I'll fail. I'll may, maybe I'll make a C here and there, um, but my attitude has to be. This 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 ideal presented here in step six of striving for the very best that I can. Um, the way that I indulge in lust and and uh, say, you know and drink drug the whole deal was in an extreme nature and was in no moderation. I know nothing about moderation um, and keeping things you know towing the line and um, therefore. I have to have the same approach for really striving for the very best that I can in the program and my working in the steps. And that's the sponsorship that I got and that's that's the thing that gives me the recovery that I have today because I have to have that spirit of willingness to continue to go to any lengths for victory over lust. And to push that further, victory over Resentment, victory over fear, victory over self-pity, negative emotion. And The only way I've been able to start to get victory over those things is to to remain to have this attitude as presented in Step Six of entire this the spirit of willingness to strive for perfection as seen in, in God. And um, I fail every day and fall short, but it's um, it's again it's that conscious act of the will to try to align myself with God's will and to, and, and to really strive for that high, that high goal every day. And as a result, you know, that's not shooting for just sobri- physical sobriety. If I shot for just that, the uh, don't drink, go to meetings, and work a couple of steps ideal, um, which, which apparently some people can do and stay dry, I don't want to even try. My God, I it just, it just seems like a miserable option. Um I I want this life of uh joy and peace that that comes as a result of really getting in there and and doing this every day. And um with step six and seven, I, I agree with Robert, it, it's um You know, the program says more will be revealed, and and I'm finding that uh, as I go along, it's it's uh, as I said, you know, it got earlier that difficulties. I try not to look at, at things in life as much as difficulties, as opposed to opportunities to apply the principles, try to work the steps, and grow closer to God, and so. Uh, you know, when I notice defects that are popping up or what have you, as opposed, as opposed to letting that uh, ruin my day or what have you, I can use that as an opportunity to apply a step, and particularly on this one. And, and, I find, and I've found that more and more is revealed to me as I go along as far as things that I need to be working on a day at a time. And... In particular, as we go on and read step seven, um, these steps six and seven has really begun to give me um, freedom from, from the enslavement, not, to, not only the lust, but as the other things that i mentioned of resentment and fear and these negative emotions. And as Robert was mentioning, you know, how uh, it's not obliterated from my existence, I, I like to think of um, these steps beginning to give me a more objective viewpoint of myself, Step six and seven, in that I can identify whatever negative emotion is happening um, just as if it is, it is outside of myself. I Maybe mean, it sounds weird, but for instance, saying if, if I'm in a grocery store line and there's magazine covers and a, and a lady with gym shorts on in front of me, uh, I can say that is what is known as lust. Um, just just like this is what is known as a cup. It's not affecting me. It's just here, and it's it has you know no effect on me, right? And so if I can say barley's my last name is barley. Adam is sitting in line. That's what is known as lust, and I just kind of put a separation between. Me and my desire, because the thing, of course, that I that I usually do was I just look and I just completely get controlled by the lust. Right. And then it drives me around. If I can fall back from that and practice the step in, in this way and say that's what is known as lust. That is not I the real I the true self in me is God of course so that is that is not I that is what is known as lust God please remove that from me and then I I go into my prayer Uh, and I use the repetitive prayer that I mentioned earlier that's the way that I've practiced and it it is it's been an absolute lifesaver for me and I'll probably talk about it more when we talk about step 7 but um and I do that with any other type of negative emotion. Resentment, fear, what have you. Um, and it's really been a, a real practical way to, to get freedom from from this stuff. Um, and it's quick and it's pretty easy. But, uh, you know, I, so I think, I think this step six should be read more in meetings. And hell, I, I'll bring my 12 and 12 to the next meeting and if they start talking about any weak ass approach to AA I'll pull this out and read, <laughs> read, the, read the last couple of pages here And um, not in any spirit of, of arrogance but just to read what the literature says that's it we can all, like you said we can agree on the literature maybe not the interpretation but this to me is pretty straightforward what we just
1: read um, when uh, I said that this is a step where I spend the vast majority of my time in recovery every day, uh, I'm going to tell you how that happens in, in a second, but when we looked in the big book and it said, are we now ready to have to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Uh-oh. You don't have to remove the things that aren't objectionable. So I get to keep some of my character defects. You know, it's like I get an out there. You know, I'm only concerned with removing the ones that I've admitted are objectionable. You know, the ones that I haven't really addressed yet. It's kind of like peeling an onion, right? You know, and I'm going to take care of the top ten right now and they will always be a top ten, but right now I'm just going to deal with the biggies. You know, I get these out of the way, and there'll be plenty more. You know, a lifetime job. Well, Preview of coming attractions. Okay. Um, which is ten to eleven. Now, continue to take personal inventory. I'm also going to say that uh, another definition of defective character is a defect for me a defect of character is anything that stands between me and my recovery defect of character for me is anything that stands between me and my recovery that I did I put there and uh, so you know step 10 continue to take personal inventory and when we're wrong, probably a minute. Okay, so when we get there, we'll talk about that. But part of that is the day's end inventory, like at the end of the day. You know, we set aside a little bit of time uh, for inventory, ten, eleven, and prayer and meditation. Well, you know, we also read, or should have read, that it says what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual program, spiritual condition. What that means is that I can't stay sober today on yesterday's program. I've got to work today's program for today. That's how I stay sober day at a time. I work a program every day. One of the things that my sponsor asked me was, Robert, if I were going to follow you around and watch you work a program of recovery, what would I see you do? And of course, I start telling him all the stuff I'd be thinking. <laughs> he said, "I can't watch you think. I don't know what the hell you're thinking. What would I see you do? What are the actions that I would see you take?" And I got all flustered and embarrassed, you know, and shame. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> and, uh, and and it's like uh, I, you see me read the literature. Okay, I could see, you, watch you read the literature, do it out loud, <laughs> and. Uh, and you uh, see me go to a meeting yeah okay I have to watch you go to a meeting uh, you see me pray okay if you do it out loud <laughs> and uh, he said you got a phone list and I said yeah I got a phone list right here whipped it out and he goes you use it no nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't I mean I didn't like talking on the phone it wasn't part of my experience And he said, "Well, you know, it's not in the literature, but uh, you know, part of my daily recovery is to talk to another recovering person every day. And you know, what you might do is just start going down the phone list and call those numbers until you get a live one. No talking to answering machines. You know, voicemailing. You talk to a live person." And you can just tell him. You know, my sponsor's an asshole, and he says, I have to call another recovering addict every day, and today's your lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> and I started doing that. And, you know, it was awkward. I just called You know, this is Robert from Friday night meeting. My sponsor said, I have to call. You know, how are you doing? You know, I've got to go click. <laughs>
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know,
1: after, you know, I'm kind of getting into it, and I'm kind of, you know, reaching the same people at about the same time every day, and, you know, it's it's not as bad as I thought. And, and, uh, and about two weeks later, you know, the shit hit the fan, and I picked up the phone. And that was different. Uh, I was no longer alone trying to do it by myself. Well... 10 step continue to take personal inventory at the end of the day you know we look over the day of course review these are the things that went right we just make a little check mark there and, uh, and then it also says uh, where we didn't, where we fell down where we fell short of the mark you know we could look at and again you know you look at the top five things in the day that didn't turn out very well you know you, Yelled at somebody, flipped somebody off, you know, whatever it was. The biggies, it's like, okay, uh, the big, or the 12 and 12 tells us here we need only admit that we did think or act badly and try to envision with God's help how we could do it better the next time. And there will be a next time, (laughs) there's always a next time. And, uh, and so, what we, the, the, the purpose of prayer in meditation is to involve heaven in the affairs of earth, to devise enlightened ways of dealing with our problems. So, you know, here's a situation I didn't like the outcome. I'm looking at that emotional mirror of my soul and I'm going, you know, I don't like this. I don't like how I feel about myself because of the outcome that I had here. Either uh, I was people pleasing or, you know, my own. Uh, timidness or fear, you know, I let somebody walk all over me or something, or I said something I shouldn't, and it's like, okay, how could I do this better next time? Which character defects were at work here, you know, as I'm going across the columns, okay, I'm, you know, this is the situation. This is what happened. It affected my sex, property, or prestige. Sex, social instinct, security. What was my part in it? What was my character defect? You know, what what is it that I should have done that I didn't do? And this is where the sixth step comes in. You know, I get to look at my character defect and think, okay, am I willing to let go of that? Am I? And what is the ideal? How would God have me act in this situation? And then, am I willing to? Work toward that. And this is the, I think, the, the appropriate use of imagination. Imagination, creating images in our mind. Uh, you know, I think if imagination is the correct use of that, then fantasy is the misuse of it. And, but uh, try to imagine how I can do it differently. Because here we're talking about that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again the same way and expecting different results. So the next time you know, the situation occurs, this is how I want to act. And so this is where six is valuable to me. You know, what character defect am I dealing with and am I willing to let go of that? Am I willing to work toward the ideal that, that I think my creator would have me work toward?
2: Sure. Something off that, real quick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I got. I'm sure Bill would be willing in the free time to help with that as well. An exercise with step six, actually written exercise uh, that was real helpful to me. um, Putting the character defect, um, what as Robert mentioned, what I've gotten out of the character defect, and then my vision of life without that character defect, right? And um, that, was, that was helpful to me in, in kind of putting in a concrete way what, you, what Robert was just uh, alluding to of being able to see it, write it out, and being able in my prayer time to actually get that sucker out and look at it and do some prayers in that direction. Identify them and, and see what my life, imagine what my life would be with, without it, as he said. And then say the seven-step prayer, which we're... Which we're going to do now, right? We'll
1: do that now. We won't, right? No, I want to say six. a little bit more about you keep six. doing. It? Okay. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a story, I like to tell stories about steps. And, uh, and there's a story about uh, how they used to capture monkeys in the jungle and what they would do is they take those big old five-gallon water bottles, you know, the kind that I'm talking about, big glass five-gallon water bottles. Uh, they tip upside down in the water coolers. Anyway, they'd take these big old heavy jugs and take them out in the forest and they'd take the uh, sweet-smelling fruits and nuts and they'd put them in the, uh, in the bottle and, uh, and then leave it there. And the monkeys, you know, would see this bottle and they could see... the object of their desire you know food good food my favorites and they'd stick their hand in the jar to get the to get the food but when they closed their fist the fist was too big to get it back out through the neck of the bottle so they were frustrated you know they were just kind of sitting there and they you know "Ah!" and then the hunters would go back and collect them and uh, And they'd be kicking and screaming and everything, but they wouldn't let go of that, you know, that most important thing in their day. You know, it's like, ah, it's mine. And and I think that we do the same thing, you know, we uh, hang on to our old ideas and, you know, our old desires, and, you know, we. Drag them into a meeting, and we talk about them. And we drag them into the therapist's office and talk about them. And we drag them into church and pray about them. And the universe has a tendency to show up and make monkeys out of us. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go through some notes that I have here on the on the sixth step, and then I'm going to be done with that. The sexaholic has nothing. To lose, but stands to gain sobriety, sane behavior, peace of mind, and happiness for self and family. Our willingness to be freed from old willful thoughts and habits are essential. Surrender to Him our moral imperfections. Uh, restoration of our mental and spiritual health is in direct proportion to our recognized need for help and our willingness. To work for recovery. A a divine type of surgery, a divine type of surgery is suggested by steps six and seven. Humble prayer becomes the spiritual scalpel with which God cuts the damaged portions from our sick personalities. Complete surrender to God's will assures us a painless, not painful, painless, successful operation. Surrender of our defects to a higher power is not the spiritless act of the defeatist. It is the intelligent act of a sexaholic who replaces fear and weakness with spiritual courage, understanding, strength, and contented sobriety. So we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. SA is not a museum for saints, but a workshop for sinners. And wouldn't it make sense when we come to God with our defects of character to make a statement of what our condition is rather than how we want it to be? Sexaholism is described as a threefold illness, mental, spiritual, and physical. Recovery has to take place in each of these three areas, and faith in a power greater than ourselves is a vital, necessary, Part of that recovery. What I think God expects from me. This is what, for me, the sixth step is about. You know, what does God expect from me? How does He expect me to act? And just as a plant has to be watered again and again, it it is just to live. So does faith needs care and attention to remain strong and healthy. my uh, first sponsor not the guy that took me through these steps but when I first got sober love these many years ago uh, I told you I got sober I was like 22 in in San Diego and uh, and had five years in real life and three years in real But my first sponsor was a guy by the name of Ray Poe he's dead now but Ray was an honest to God cowboy I mean cowboy hat cowboy boots and, uh, and he lived on a ranch in Vista, which is northern. It was northern San Diego County. Now it's a city, but back then Ray had I don't know how many acres, but uh, he had cattle, and uh, and Ray used to scrape the cow dung off his boots, you know, on the step before he walked in. the me. There was always lots of space around Ray. <laughs> you know, you'd go over and sit down beside Ray. And you go over there, and uh, but Ray had more common sense than most any three men I can think of, and uh, and I was talking to Ray about step six and defects of carry during. Could God remove this one? And could He really take care of this one? And what about you know? And talking to him, and finally he said, "Robert, don't worry about the mules that die. Just keep loading the wagon." And uh, you know, don't worry about whether or not God can entirely remove all these defects of character. Just keep working at it. Thanks. I think we'll take a five-minute break. Does that work?
0: I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members.